morning simple church all right waking up it's summertime almost everybody's out of school my name is evan i'm the online pastor justin is on vacation you heard brian reed say that a minute ago well deserved we're glad he's off so i get to pinch hit today i'm excited to be here and thank you for watching i'm the online pastor interact with people all week watching all over the world ghana africa crazy stories that people find in simple church so thank you for being with us today online and in the room you made it you're here and we're going to kick it old school the series we're in is called old school we've been doing this for a couple weeks and here's what i want you to do turn to somebody next to you i know it might be a little weird say hi introduce yourself welcome and we're going old school tell them something you remember about the story of jonah First thing comes in your mind. We're going old school, Old Testament. There's a book in the Bible called Jonah. If you've never heard it today, it's going to be a shocking story to you. But I bet most of us have some remembrance, some connection to it. If you grew up in church, you're around kids' church, they love to do stuff all the time with it. But first thing I think of now is Jonah Boaz, our high school pastor. So Jonah actually was swallowed by a whale. Some of you did not know that. That's actually true. That's not true. Blake, our middle school pastor, is Photoshop, But a guy really did get swallowed by a whale last year off the coast of, I think it was Maine, and was on Jimmy Kimmel talking about the experience. But Jonah Boaz, our high school guy there, I think of Jonah now. I think of Jonah Boaz. But the book of the Bible, not about Jonah Boaz. About a guy named Jonah was a prophet. You probably remember the story. There's a big fish. Some people say whale. It's painted all over children's buildings, right? He's on a barrel there. Oh, we went fast on that one. But then the craft Anybody remember doing stuff like this as a kid or your kids brought stuff home? Miss Sandra teaches my four-year-old daughter. They make cute little crafts all the time. Might be something like that. There's also things like this. Anybody remember bulletin boards, right? We need to bring back the art of bulletin boards. Fantastic there. Spitting them up. Part of the story you'll hear in a minute. Nineveh, important there. But this one I feel like is starting to get a little like, this is a little sacrilegious. Like, hey, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. This is a horrible thing. Let's make it a paddle ball game. You can buy those on Amazon right now. If you're looking for a gift, you can try to get Jonah, I guess, as the ball. His face is on there, you see. A little offensive. I would not like that if I was Jonah. But it's something that kids' church talk about all the time. And then I found this series when I was looking up stuff the last couple weeks, knowing I was going to talk about Jonah. Charlton Heston did a series of kids' videos. Any Charlton Heston fans in the room? Three people. My grandfather loved Charlton Heston. He was fighting those darn dirty apes. And he was telling Bible stories, apparently. And this might be what you remember when you think about Jonah, but today I'm going to wreck this image that you have, and we're going to actually look at what the Bible really says and how it can apply to our lives today. But first, let's hear what Charlton Heston has to say about Jonah. Watch. Hello, I'm Charlton Heston. I'd like to introduce you to a wonderful story called Jonah and the Whale. Hello. Right, that gravelly voice is great. You might have seen series like this as kids, watched stories about them, but Greatest Heroes and Legends is probably actually a pretty bad title for who Jonah really was and what the story's about. 
So it's been a while, you hadn't written to church, you hadn't remembered something, you didn't grow up listening to those things. Here's a better byline we're going to talk about today. As we look old schools, we look at the Old Testament, the real story of Jonah, a better title would probably be this. The subversive story of a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. That's not on any of the preschool crafts, right? That's not going to be what you bring home in your little kid's bag. And the story of Jonah is really pretty shocking when we dive into it. So we're going to do just that today. The whole book of Jonah is only four chapters. It's 48 verses, right? So there's Psalms. The one Psalm is literally longer than the whole book of Jonah. But this story from thousands of years ago teaches us something about who God is and applies to our lives today. And the best representation that actually did this really well, shockingly, actually not shockingly because they're excellent, was VeggieTales. So we have any VeggieTales fans in the room? If you're not, you're missing out. You're robbing your own life of the blessing of VeggieTales. I grew up on VeggieTales. They do a great job, biblically accurate, good information with a little bit of fun mixed in. And here, in two minutes, is the story of Jonah to recap in case you forgot. Watch. When I was a boy, I went to church back home in Arizona. And that is where I heard the tale of a man whose name was Jonah. Now, Jonah was a prophet, but that's not why he's remembered. We tell the tale, cause in a whale, he nearly was dismembered. Jonah the movie, excellent, five stars, recommend. In all seriousness, I really did learn a lot about the Bible. VeggieTales, if you're looking for stuff to watch this summer, really does a great job. But this is straight from the Bible. Jonah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, and he never really got it. It's sad, but it's true. Also, just real quick, the rhyme of Arizona and Megaphona, that's excellent writing. That's great. But 
We're going to go in the Bible now, I promise, because this is the story of Jonah. It's not what you remember. It's probably not what you dove into if it's been a while. But it is a really shocking story about this man, Jonah, who was the prophet of God, who spoke directly to God and completely missed the whole point. And we don't want you to miss the point today. So let's dive into it. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to fly through the whole book of the Bible today. Y'all can do it. I believe in you. You feel ready? We're okay? Two of you. Good. The rest of you, you're going to be okay. You're going to catch up. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. This is how the book opens. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amidi. Amidi, Amadi, potato, potato. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Right? It sounds like you have a list, but it's Tarshish. It's actually how you say it. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord, sailing to Tarshish. So Nineveh, let's go with a little context. I spent some time the last couple weeks. I read a book. I was trying to understand and get this better. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So if you've been around, you know history, you've kind of studied in this stuff, the Babylonians, there's all these empires. Assyria was known still as one of the worst, most violent, oppressive cultures in the history of the world. Nineveh was the capital Huge city at the time. It was massive, one of the biggest in the world. And something about Nineveh that you probably don't know, it was awful. And VeggieTales, one more clip. I'm going to get one more VeggieTales plug in here. They showed us what Nineveh was like, and we'll come back. Watch this. That Nineveh wasn't in Israel at all. It was the capital of Assyria, and it was the biggest, meanest city around. Now, the people of Nineveh were particularly mean to Jonah's people, the Israelites. They lied. They stole. But worst of all, they slapped people with fishes. They even slapped each other with fishes. They didn't know the difference between right and wrong. The Ninevites were so mean, in fact, that most Israelites, including Jonah, wished God would just wipe Nineveh off the face of the earth. So that's the VeggieTales version. There's no historical record of them actually slapping each other with fish. But my four-year-old is probably not ready to talk about what Assyria really was. So we're going to do that right now. If you have little ones, you might want to cover their ears for a sec. Because the real story of Assyria is a lot worse than slapping with fish. Here's some things that the Assyrians were known for. And they made their whole culture, their identity, about being ruthless, brutal, violent, and use psychological warfare to intimidate their enemies. So these images are a couple thousand years old, as you can imagine, the resolution, not real high, but these are actual pieces of art that the Assyrian people made to celebrate the things they did to their enemies. Like, we'll start right here, number one. If you can't tell what that is, that is them pulling off ears right here and body parts cutting off of the people that they would use and decorate wear as jewelry. So a lot of things you see in culture where there's like necklaces on an ear or barbarians, that comes from Assyria. They would also skin people alive, take their skin, their pelt, if you will, and would hang them up on the city walls so when you walked in, there was the skin of their enemies that were there. Let's see, this one right here, they're being uh, stretched out and flayed to death. That's their skin being peeled off. The next one, this is fun. They're going and holding them down and forcing them to eat the ground up bones and flesh of their family members. So if you were a noble in a city that Assyria warned and said, we're going to conquer you, you tried to fight back. They took your family members, killed them in front of you, tortured them, sometimes burned them alive. They would take their remains and then force you to eat them while you're being held there at spear point or sword, I guess, whatever. Not great. The next one, this one's fun. 
pregnant women, if you were captured in a town by Assyria, they took every pregnant woman, would line them up, and would rip the babies out of their womb in front of the husbands or the soldiers that they were captured to teach them a lesson to stand up against Assyria. And the last one, they invented impaling. So this was people they would impale, leave on metal pokes, metal pokes, <laughs> wooden spikes. They would go and try to hold them up and decorate the outside of the towns. And so when you walked by on the main road, there would be the impaled people on the side of the road. This, years later, would inspire Vlad the Impaler, handsome guy right here, who would use this technique. And this is where Dracula comes from. Vlad, actual person, used the Assyrian methods to put 20,000 corpses on spikes when he was fighting against the Ottoman Empire. They walked for miles on the decaying uh, corpses, and that helped him to win a famous battle, made him this great leader, great in terms, right? And that's where Dracula comes from, this idea of Vlad the Impaler. He got it from the Assyrians. They hated the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's people, Jonah's people, and they were the worst enemy, the people that would have been absolutely the furthest from what God told them to do. They did not know right from wrong. VeggieTales does have that correct. Just no slapping with fishes, a lot more torture and gratuitous violence. So this is the context that Jonah is now being sent into. God gives him this message. It doesn't even say that Jonah tried to fight back, right? It just says that he left, he fled, he went the other way. And something when I was reading about this and learning about this that I never really got, it didn't even click with me, is that at this point, Jonah was more concerned about the people of Israel than he was about following God himself. Something that I didn't click, and again, you're probably smarter than me, you've got this, but when Jonah disobeyed to go and to preach to the Ninevites, the people in Assyria, he was afraid that if they actually changed their ways and listened, it would be embarrassing to the Israelites, God's people, because they had had prophet after prophet and chance after chance and not repented, and he was willing to disobey God, the God that he said that he loved, to flee the other direction. Another cool thing I didn't know was Tarshish. You hear him say it is Tarshish, which just sounds ridiculous, but different time. Tarshish on the map was literally the furthest point in the world somebody in Israel would have known about. It is on the far coast of Spain over here, 2,500 miles away. Literally, he ran to the ends of the earth, the farthest place he could think of to get away from God, who he spoke to out loud. He knew God was real and thought that this would work. Nineveh, the other way, was still 550 miles from Joppa, the port that he talked about. But Tarshish, into the world, furthest he could run. And we pick the story up where Jonah's on a boat, chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break apart their ship. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors, who would not have been Israelites, would not have followed God, not been Hebrews, they would have been pagans, right is the term back then, that they did not follow God. They shouted to their gods and for help to throw stuff overboard to lighten the load because they're going to sink. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. Jonah, this person who could pray, who could talk to God audibly, chose to sleep, to not worry about it. And they believe, and scholars argue and debate, that he might have even been at that point ready to just die, to give up, instead of try to do what God asked him to do. So the captain of the ship went down to him and said, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots. So casting lots back then, they think that it would be a way that you could know what gods wanted, their fake gods. And it was basically like drawing sticks. So if you drew the short stick, you were the one that was in trouble and you had to explain yourself. Jonah still at this point has not confessed and told them that he knows that his God is going and is trying to sink them and is chasing after him. So he goes and caused 
the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit, which probably was God, right? Pulling strings, kind of have a little laugh at Jonah's expense. Why has this awful storm come on us, they asked him. Who are you and what is your line of work? What country are you from and what is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. Why would they be terrified? Because they had probably heard the stories of the miracles God had done. Different prophets, Elijah, all these different stories and things about the God of the Israelites would have had the reputation that terrified these sailors. They were told that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors, the pagan sailors who didn't follow God, still didn't want to kill Jonah so they could save themselves. They still tried to do the right thing. But the stormy sea was too violent. And they couldn't make it. So they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Probably the first time any of them had prayed to the real God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death, O oh Lord. For you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. The storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. But now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. You probably remember that part of the story if you remember anything about Jonah, right? They're making the paddle balls. They're putting it on the bulletin board. Jonah's in the fish, the great whale. The Hebrew word itself is fish. They debate back and forth. Nobody really knows. But I read a book getting ready for this called The Prodigal Prophet by a guy named Tim Keller. Great book if you're looking for something to read, something, a resource you want to dive deeper in something this summer. Tim Keller is an incredible writer. And actually, he actually passed away this Friday from cancer. He's 72 years old, incredible man of faith at a church in New York City, was there during 9-11. Their church did incredible things. And this is a quote from him before he passed away this week. If we live to old age, we can feel our bodies and our beauty fading. Yet if we are growing in God's grace, our souls, as it were, are becoming stronger and more beautiful. At death, this reversal becomes completely our bodies. Dis, uh, disintegrate and become blindingly glorious. So comfort yourself with these words. The world can only give us peace that says it probably won't get that bad. Jesus's peace is different. It says even the worst that can happen, your death, is ultimately the best thing that can happen. We all long for a place that is truly home. And Jesus says that it awaits you. So Tim Keller, I read this book not knowing this would happen this week. But he has a great way of phrasing what the story of Jonah is really about. And real quick on the whale, the fish, maybe you hadn't been to church in a while. Maybe if you're honest, you're a little skeptical about some of these things and it's turned you off at church. You're not really sure if you can believe that this guy lived three days. How's that even possible? What does that look like? This is a quote I thought really helped me. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Christ, a far greater miracle, then there is nothing particularly different about reading Jonah literally. Certainly, many people today believe all miracles are impossible, but that skepticism is just that, belief that itself can't be proven. So if you're skeptical, if you're not sure about the fish and the whale and the whole thing, this next quote, I think, sums it up perfectly. Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they failed to see the great God. Because the story about Jonah and the whale isn't about a whale or a fish or any of that stuff. It's really about who God is and his character. 
So if we can set aside the fish and the whale for a minute, we look to the story of Jonah. He prays inside the whale. He never actually apologizes, which is something I had never noticed either when you read the prayer. He's not repentant. He doesn't change. He just says, fine, God, I'll go. Obviously, you've saved me in this fish, and I'll do what you want me to do. Almost reluctantly, almost hesitantly. And in Jonah 2.10, the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. So if you can picture that map, it was hundreds of miles away. It would have taken him weeks, if not months, to walk. And this whole time, he doesn't have AirPods. He can't listen to something else. He's sitting there thinking about what God's done, saved him in this miracle, going and following his commands. And this time he obeyed. He went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Not the best opening line if he's trying to endure himself to these people, right? In Hebrew, there's actually five words. The whole sermon, the whole thing that he's prepared for months, it's five words to the people of Assyria that tells them they're gonna be destroyed. It doesn't say, here's what you need to do to repent. Here's what God wants you to do to change. Jonah just tells them they're gonna be destroyed. And by the grace of God, the people of Nineveh believed it. They listened to the message and the greatest to the least of them declared a fast, put on burlap to show their sorrow. It's how would you have been mourning that you show repentance with changing your clothes. The king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying. This man who had committed atrocities across the entire land went and stepped down from his throne, which was unimaginable to undignify himself as a royal He took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Jonah miraculously, through God, changed this entire city. Revival is broken out. He's changed the enemies of Israel. Their hearts are soft. They're ready to learn. So Jonah's got to be ecstatic. He's got to be pumped. Chapter 4 says... The change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Jonah talked to God. He was in the whale. He knew he had been saved by a miracle, and he still never really got it. Oh, oh. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. You just imagine God just striking a lightning bolt right there, right? Like, are you serious, Jonah? After everything, you're arguing with me? You're telling me that I didn't do something right? Jonah tells him, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. He never got it. Some of you, I feel like, and myself, I feel like, if you just knew God's word for your life, if God would speak to us, you'd know what to do. And over and over again, these people in the Old Testament that directly heard from God, disobeyed, did the wrong thing, ran from God, and God still was patient with them. Jonah 4, 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this, Jonah? Then God sends a plant. It's this metaphor, it's this story for us that Jonah's there, he covers him with the shade, then he sends a worm and God kills the plant. Like, what does all this mean? What is this really about? God was trying to teach him something. In Jonah 4, 9, 
It says, God tells Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, Every angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh, who has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? A great city? God calls them a great city despite the horrible things they had done. And the story ends. That's the end of Jonah. You never hear Jonah's answer to God asking him the question. And looking this up, that's so weird to me. I didn't remember that, rereading it again. And basically in the Hebrew tradition that that question ending the whole story of Jonah was a literary device to ask the reader. God's talking directly to you, to me. And are we really okay with God loving our enemies, your enemies, the people that you don't like? The Syrians have no connection to us. They believe that Jonah could have had family members and friends who were killed by Assyrians. There would have been towns in the news at the time of the things the Assyrians had done. It was personal for Jonah. We don't really care about that, but everybody in this room probably has somebody you can think of that you've got some problems with, you've got conflict with. You might even call an enemy or say that you hate. Or maybe it's groups of people or things that you label. It's them, it's other. They probably haven't done as bad stuff as the Assyrians have done. And God forgave them anyway. Because it appears throughout the story that it's flipped. You would think that the prophet, the person who follows God, is the hero of the story. Jonah's this legend. But instead, over and over and over again, Jonah cares less about the sailors. He doesn't care about the people of Nineveh. He wants to be right. He wants to be comfortable. And was more concerned with what he thought God should do than what God actually did. But the sailors, these pagans, right? The people who were enemies of God, the captain of the ship, the king of Nineveh, the worst, expressed a deep concern, care, and love for other people. And the author of Jonah shows that wicked pagans can show more moral virtue than a person who claims to follow God. That's harsh. (laughs) That's pretty tough. We go on to the next one. We'll go to the next slide there. I think it got locked up maybe. It's a theme the New Testament will bring out even more clearly. The New Testament, the other half of the Bible, the pagan and the religious, the Jew and the Gentile, all are sinful, all are lost, and we can only be saved by grace. How God can be merciful and forgiving to people How could he do this when they've been so violent and so evil? The question we wrestle with still today, thousands of years later, is how can God be both merciful and forgiving and loving and still be a God of justice? Because depending on your personality, depending on who you are, we'd normally go one way or the other, right? Like everything's fine, it doesn't really matter what you do, you're forgiven, it's no big deal. And then the other end of the spectrum is judgmental. I can't believe they're in church. Did you see them? They go to Simple Church. I can't believe that person's here. Did you see what they did the other day? Did you see what they posted? And we like to point fingers and talk about them. And the book Tim Keller wrote is called The Prodigal Prophet because it shows how the connection of Jonah is to the story of the prodigal son. 
You've probably heard the story. You've been around church at all. You know, in the New Testament, they ask Jesus who God is. What is God like? And he tells a story about a son that asks his dad for his inheritance before he's dead. A huge insult. He takes the money, leaves, squanders it, living big. And then he comes back desperate, begging his father for forgiveness and is willing to work as a servant in the household. And instead, the father in the story, God, who God is, is he welcomes him with open arms. And I know sometimes this is all heady and it's old school stuff and it's not really something that seems like it's still true today. But I want you to think about the person in your life right now for a minute. I found this retelling of the prodigal story and maybe this relates a little bit more to one of you in the room, to somebody watching online, of who God is. Watch. time since we talked, I was, you know, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, yeah, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I, I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> it's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon and I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad.
That's right. You can clear for that. That's who Jesus says God is. But what's funny is after the first service, I talked to two different sets of parents. One of them, he was emotional because he said he had that moment with his son. They're reconciled. They're better than they've ever been. And he's so thankful that they're back. And the other parent, they haven't had that moment yet. Their kid is still running. And they're ready to accept him with open arms. But he's just not there yet. No matter what this side of heaven happens, you know that there's a God that loves you, that is there waiting, that won't let you down. So in the story of the prodigal son, it doesn't end there. If you remember, Jesus tells the story, the father welcomes with open arms, but there's another character, the older brother. And this is where I think some of us that have been in church a long time, you've grown up in it, we tend to skew more this way. And if we're honest, we're more like Jonah than we care to admit. Because Jesus telling the story says that the older brother comes to the dad angry that this prodigal that squandered the money, that wasted, that hurt his dad, that hurt the family, was forgiven. And the older brother says, dad, I've done everything you've asked for me and you've never thrown me a party. You've never given me anything. And the father, God, turns to him and says, but you've been with me all along and you'll have my inheritance. We're going to celebrate the one that came home today. And at Simple Church, that is who I want us to be. I believe that is who Jess wants us to be. When he started the church, this is one of the main verses he talked about, Mark 2, 17. Jesus again, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I'm so thankful that we are a church, that we are trying to be a place where you If you're watching online, you haven't been to church, you've run far the other way, you can still come. That you know you are loved. Tim Keller again in that book, The Prodigal Prophet, says it this way, the beauty of God's image should move us to help any human being, regardless of race, status, or moral desert. The image of God means that we should treat other human beings as God deserves. Each Christian will so consider himself a debtor to his neighbor's even if they're pagan, even if they don't agree with you, even if they go and do horrible things. That is how the Samaritan responded. Another story would have rocked their world that the enemy, the hated Samaritan, the half-breed person that didn't follow God was the hero of that story, not Jonah. Another way to say it is most of us like what God says until we're called to action. So Jonah's mentioned three times in the Bible, the book of Jonah, one other time in the Old Testament, and then one time in the New Testament. Jesus directly talks about it. Matthew chapter 12, some teachers of religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove that you're authority. Jesus knows their hearts, he knows what they're thinking. And he replies, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, the awful torturers, enemies of God, hated by the Israelites, the people of Nineveh, and he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers that consider themselves the closest people to God on earth. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, condemn you, for they repented of their sins, 
at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. So wrap up, you're gonna go back to your day, we're busy, you're watching online. Last thing from Tim Keller. He says, the sign of Jonah that Jesus talks about, the miraculous sign isn't a display of power as it is an astonishing display of weakness. Jesus laid aside his divine glory, prerogatives, and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Just as Jonah was cast into the waters to save the sailors from the wrath of God, Jesus, thousands of years later, would be cast into death to bear all the punishment that our sins deserve to save us. And just as Jonah came back from the dead, Jesus was raised for our justification. That's the sign of Jonah. So who do you relate to most in the story? Where are you at today? If you're honest with yourself, just for a minute, if you feel like the prodigal, you've been running, make the call today. I can't promise it'll happen. I can't promise anything will change. But maybe, just maybe, your story will be that you reconciled. You made the relationship better. You talked to the parent, the step-parent, the grandparent, the friend, and reached out today. If you feel like the older brother, if you put yourself in thinking about you over the people that God loves, maybe you serve somebody else and do something for somebody that you think doesn't deserve it. If you're running from God, you're trying to go as far as possible and someone forced you to come to church today, dragged you in here kicking and screaming, watched it online, you found it somewhere, I just want you to know it's never too late. You're never too far gone. God is waiting. And I think the majority of us probably fall in this last category. Think about these sailors that were just doing their job. They're just sailing along in life. They're doing what they thought they were supposed to do. They were probably okay, but a storm popped up. And if there's a storm in your life, maybe, just maybe today, it's God trying to get your attention to speak to you. And if you need help, if you wanna talk to somebody, if you want counseling, we offer counseling. If you wanna talk to a pastor, email me. Send me the email today. I can help you to start give resources. I can't promise I'll know everything, but I can help you find the right person that can. Send us a message if you're watching online in the chat. But my prayer would be for these next few minutes before we leave, before we get going to lunch, I know everybody's hungry, we're excited as we go back to our normal lives. We'll play a video and the band's gonna come up one more time. And I'd like you to just do something we don't really do well and be still and silent. Don't talk to the person next to you for a few minutes. Don't look at your phone, don't sneak out. In the busyness and hectic life that's out those doors, if you're online, you're at home, maybe just stop what you're doing and ask God, where am I right now? What do I need to work on? And if there's a storm in your life, my prayer would be that this helps to remind you who God is. Watch the video, band will come up and we'll be done. Storms. Even the most seasoned seafarer trembles at the first clap of thunder on the horizon. Unpredictable, volatile, irrational, 
The force of a tempest can turn a freighter into a child's bath toy, tossing and turning the vessel at the leisure of wind-blown whitecaps. The Sea of Galilee is known to be particularly prone to sudden storms. Its low geographic position in a valley surrounded by hills. Doesn't that seem familiar? Think about it. Isn't it also true that we often experience some of the strongest storms in the deepest of life's valleys? Scripture tells us of one such storm. Following a day of teaching the crowds, a massive squall battered the vessel that carried Jesus and his disciples. Thunder applauded while wind and waves threatened to capsize the boat, striking fear into the hearts and minds of the disciples. Consumed with their bleak fate, the disciples plead, Who can calm the storm? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? With a single word, the seas became smooth as glass, and the wind was said to have run out of its breath. Who is this that the wind and the waves, mighty as they may be, bow to his call? The only explanation is he is Lord. And he who can calm the raging sea can surely bring to peace the storm surrounding me. When the doctor names the pain you feel And the air around you changes When you don't know
I would love to pray for us and we'll be done. God, there's so many ways you could have showed us who you are. Think about Jesus over and over and over again, explaining you as a God who loves us, who cares about our life, who wants the best for us, forgives us even though we don't deserve it. Let's think about all the people in this room and all the people watching online. God, what would happen if we made the phone call today? It's scary. There's so much hurt and baggage, and I know I don't understand. And if you told me the story of what happened to you and how wronged you were, but God, you do know. You still choose to love us anyway. And if we're a follower of you, we should do the same to our kids, to our parents, to the coworker, to the neighbor, even though they don't deserve it, God because we don't deserve it either. God, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that maybe has been running so long and so far, they feel like there's no way that you would welcome them back. I'm so glad they're here. I'm so glad they're watching. And God, you are even more excited that they would be willing to give a chance. And I pray that today they would know that they are loved, that you love them, and they would take a step, God, if that's Sending us an email, if that's asking somebody they know, praying to you, Father, maybe for the first time in a long time, that this is their day and that they could look back and see that their life started to turn, to change direction, and that it's not too late. And finally, God, I pray for everybody that's trying to follow you, that is trying to do what they can and is in a storm right now. The diagnosis, the marriage, the kids that are struggling, God, whatever it might be, you do know. And I pray that we would turn to you in those storms and be reminded that even here, even now, that you are with them and they are not alone. We love you. Amen.